What's your this? Just think about that for a minute. I know what my this is. The very reason why I give them praise. I, I know my this. What's your this? What's the reason why you give him praise? What's your this? Was it because he brought you through another week? Because he kept your child another week? Because he made sure you still had a roof over your head. Because he made sure that you still had some food in your refrigerator. I don't know what your this may be. But that's the very reason why we give him praise. But I know one thing. My this is because he came down off from glory. And he died on Calvary's cross. And he got up early one Sunday morning. I, I know my this. And my this is because he chose to lay down his life that I may have the victory in Christ Jesus. Yo, this may be cancer. Yo, this may be depression. Yo, yo this may be your family situation. But, but we know we all have a this. When the Lord showed up and he reminded you just, just how magnificent, just how marvelous, and just how good he was and is. This is why we give him praise this morning. Let's give a little hand clap of praise this morning. For the many wonderful blessings that he indeed has bestowed upon us. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God for our choir, for preparing our hearts for worship this morning. And I praise God for you. I'm grateful that the Lord brought us through another week and allowed us to come into worship one more time. It is good to see you. There's no day is guaranteed, is it? So we're so grateful uh, for the privilege to come into this house to lift up the name of Jesus together. Amen. Amen. Well, indeed, uh, I'd like to welcome you this morning to this local body of Christ gathered at Forest Baptist. And my prayer is that you would just know and understand that the Lord has a, per, uh, has a plan and purpose for you and, and he has you here for a reason. He has you here because he has a word for you. He has you here because you may have a word for somebody else, but he wants to use you for his glory and for his name's sake, that his glory may uh, radiate not only in this congregation, but his glory may radiate within our homes, within our city, within this, this state and this nation and this world, because the Bible reminds us that there is a day coming, sooner than you think, where the glory of the Lord will cover this earth as the waters covers the sea. His glory will shine forth brightly. And we are privileged to be a part of that even now. Well, as we prepare to enter into worship this morning, just want to uh, give you a friendly reminder. Each and every week we gather uh, not only for corporate worship, but we gather for for Sunday school. Sunday school starts promptly at 9.30. We are uh, excited about this Sunday school year. On last week, we even commissioned our Sunday school teachers preparing us for this, 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 this new year of Sunday school. And I just wanna, uh, want you to understand, Sunday school is not, just not for kids. Uh, Sunday school is, is, is for everybody. There's a, there's a class for you. Uh, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and get up a little early on Sunday morning and come for that teaching hour, uh, uh, knowing what we know about this world and how 
it is constantly bombarding us with, with its message and, 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 and distracting us, trying to make us feel like we're less than, it is it's so important that we combat the lies that the world has with the truth of God's word. And Sunday school allows us that hour to come uh, and sit up under the teaching of God's word that we may combat that even more. So I want to encourage you to to come to Sunday school. Also, uh, we have the privilege of hosting our very first uh, Job One Job Fair on tomorrow. Uh, from, from 10 a.m. To, to 1, uh, we are, are trying to be an economic engine within this community. And uh, we are trying to serve this community by providing uh, uh, an area, a, a place where some, tw- uh, some, some more than 20 employers have, have, have signed up to be here tomorrow. On tomorrow, amen? And, and, and through this initiative... Uh, if, if you are unemployed, if you are underemployed, if you are looking for a new job, if you know someone, if you got a cousin, uh, we all know someone that should be working. But if you need, if you need a job, uh, come tomorrow, have them come tomorrow between the hours of 10 a.m. and 1, and we are hosting our very first uh, job fair. Again, over 20 different employers are coming here in order to provide jobs. They're looking for people to work. So we're just trying to be the, the, the in-between, the, to mediate. Huh. We're trying to, to, to bridge the gap between this community and, and employers. But then also along the way, we want to be able to speak a word of encouragement. We want to sow seeds of righteousness with those who are coming through these doors to help them to see that you may need a job today, but your greatest need is Jesus Christ. So we want to, we want to uh, encourage you to be praying, that, be praying for that. Pray that, uh, that as we open up these doors that a flood of people will come through. And that, that, that there will even be people that, that will say, I didn't even know this church was here, but now I do. And that the Lord will use some conversation, something somewhere uh, to, to prick their heart and to reveal to them their need for Jesus Christ or their, their need for total uh, surrender or submission. Uh, as we sang uh, total praise, that, that's, that's the summary of today's sermon. We're talking about total praise, total surrender to Jesus Christ. That, and, and as a Christian, there are so many things in our lives that, that, that hold us back from saying, Lord, just take all of me. And, and each one of us has different things that we've, we've, we've learned, we've heard, we've dealt with that's holding us back. But the prayer is that through the preached word that we will see that uh, because Jesus is so great, why wouldn't we want to surrender everything to him? So may that be uh, the message that we hear in the book of Revelation as we continue our short study in this series entitled To the Church. So if you would, in your Bibles, open up with me or on your device. We're in Revelation, the second chapter. And, and in verses 1 through 7 last week, we, we, we read the mail of, uh, of another church, the church at Ephesus. And in that, in that letter, Jesus is talking to this loveless church. And he says to the church at Ephesus, uh, you, you, you're great at contending for the faith. You're, you're good when it comes to orthodoxy, to, to knowing what you're supposed to be doing. But, but you have abandoned your first love. The love they originally had for Jesus and for others. This church in Ephesus, they, they were marked by truth, but they were not marked by love. So much so that Jesus said that, that you need to repent. And if you do not repent, I am going to remove your lampstand. I am going to, I, I'm going to remove your influence within the culture as a church, as, as my church. The church of Jesus Christ should be motivated and marked by truth and love. Beloved, this means that for us, we need to be a church who relentlessly holds on to right doctrine. We have to believe what Jesus has said over everyone else. We, we have 
to believe Jesus over Big Mama. We got to believe Jesus over tradition, over, over what the world says it means to be a follower of Christ. We have to believe Jesus about what it means to follow Christ. So we have to hold on to right doctrine. But in doing so, we want to be careful because we, as far as we also need to be a church who genuinely loves the lost and the broken. We live in a fallen world full of sinfulness and broken people. And we have the answer. We have the cure. But no one would want to partake of that cure if we're so ugly when we're trying to dispense it. If, 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 if anything, beloved, we need to make sure that we got good bedside manners if we're trying to play doctor and help someone out. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor and they just got terrible bedside manners. You like, I, 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 I'm totally exposed and naked before you, and you want to act like this? I don't, I, I'm getting up, I'm going to find me another doctor. And we don't want people to come in the forest and, and to be treated in such a way that they say, I, I don't even want to be naked and exposed before you. I'm going to go find somewhere else. We want to be marked by truth and love. So this morning, we want to continue to see what type of church that Jesus wants us to be as we look at this second letter to the church. In Revelation, the second chapter, uh, beginning with the eighth verse, we're going to look at this letter to the church in Smyrna. And if you would, in honor of reading of God's word, if you would please stand. Revelation, the second chapter, beginning with the eighth verse. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The theme of today is simply letter to a persecuted church. Letter to a persecuted church. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to hear from you. And Father, please, as you are speaking, pour out your Holy Spirit. Please have mercy upon us that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts ready and willing to believe and to receive what thus saith the Lord. Father, I ask that you would use me as weak and feeble as I am to wage war against Satan and his minions right now in the name of Jesus. By speaking your truth, Father, I ask that you would indeed set some captives free today. Oh, deliver us, dear Lord, from Satan's distractions and from the despair that he brings. But remind us of the, the marvelous the glorious and tremendous hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. And for the one who is burdened, for the one who is broken right now, Father, I ask that you would give them grace upon grace, that they would trust you, that they would believe you, that they would hear from you right now, and that they, they would honor you with their life and with their lips. Father, please speak, for we are listening. In the precious and holy and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as we look at this letter to this church in Smyrna, last week we talked about the church at Ephesus, and we know a little bit about the church in Ephesus. But the church of Smyrna, we don't know much about this church. Uh, the city of Smyrna would be modern-day Izmir in Turkey, and it, it was a, a harbor city that was located about, about 40 miles northwest of Ephesus. So as the, this, this letter traveled, it would, 
it hit Ephesus first and went over to Smyrna. And, and this was a, 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 a phenomenal city similar to Ephesus in a lot of what it did. As a matter of fact, Smyrna is the only one of the seven cities still in existence today. Of all the, the letters and of all the cities, this is the only one that is still existing today. And also this, this church in Smyrna is only one of two churches that received no word of condemnation from Jesus. Everything in this letter to this church at Smyrna was for their encouragement. Beloved, the Lord has a word of encouragement for you and for us today. Though we don't know much about Smyrna, we, we do know a little bit about the religious climate in which this church existed. See, Smyrna had a, had a very strong alliance and allegiance to the city of Rome and to the emperor. As a matter of fact, they had a temple there and they were considered a guardian of, uh, of the imperial cult. And the, the imperial cult, it was a political and religious system of worshiping the Roman emperor as a divine being, an incarnation of God. So from the government, they basically would say that the emperor himself is a god and worthy of your worship. Not only worthy of your worship, you were mandated to worship the emperor. On various occasions, you would be required, if you were in Rome and, and you, you didn't already have a religious affiliation, say you were a Jew, something that was recognized, you would be required to offer sacrifice to Caesar and to say the phrase, Caesar is Lord. Because of that, there was a lot of persecution in this city from the government, but also persecution from uh, the city in general because it was full of paganism. In this city, there were temples to Apollos, temples to Aphrodite, Zeus. They were all in the same city. So a lot of idolatry was taking place in this city. And for those who wouldn't submit, for those who wouldn't conform, for those who wouldn't worship these false gods and false idols, there was a lot of persecution taking place in the city of Smyrna. There was economic persecution. You were required to offer sacrifices to Caesar each year. And in doing so, you would receive a certificate. And that certificate would actually allow you to have a job and to shop and to do various things to, to allow you to move in the midst of this city. So if you didn't have that certificate, it was very hard for you to get a job. It's hard for you to, to really provide for yourself. So there was economic persecution, but there was also imprisonment. You, you, sometimes you would flat out be put in jail because you did not worship Caesar. You would not bow the knee and say, Caesar is Lord. But we know if, if they can persecute you economically and persecute you by putting you in prison, it's just one more step before they persecute you by putting you to death. And they would even put you to death in, in some cases in this city because they were so tied to Rome. This church in Smyrna, they suffered both from Roman persecutors and Jewish accusers. See, the way the, the system was set up, if Rome came in and you, were, uh, you had already had an established religion, Rome would allow you to continue to, to, to uh, 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 be in that religion, to continue to, to worship in your way, and they, they wouldn't bother you. So the Jews already uh, being monotheistic, they, 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 they only served one God. The, the Romans really didn't bother them. But anyone else who would come along and begin worshiping knew, and they found out they would begin to be persecuted. So what the Jews would do is, because these Christians came along, they would begin to complain that they're, that they're not like us. Though they may have the Old Testament, though they may believe in Moses, they believe in this, this guy named Jesus. They're not like us. And that persecution will begin to come. Beloved, 
Pressure to conform to the status quo surrounded this church in Smyrna. I don't know about you, but does that sound familiar? There's always pressure on the church to, to conform to the status quo, to be just like everybody else. See, but that's the problem. Jesus hasn't called you or me to be just like everybody else. Jesus has called us to be a peculiar people. And again, I remind you, when the text says peculiar, not strange because you just strange. No, he calls us to be different, set apart because of our love for Christ Jesus. Not because you, you are, are you, you bitter and you're hard to get along with. No, because in, in, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of a hard situation, you're actually able to be loving and not angry and not mad and not unkind and, and, and not like everyone else. That's what it means to be a peculiar people. We're not like everyone else. When Jesus saves you, he is calling you out of darkness. See, we like that text. He, he's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That means that if he calls you into his light, you got to leave the darkness behind. You can't keep dibbling and dabbling what you used to do. You can't keep going where you used to go. You can't keep talking how you used to talk. But Jesus is calling you to a new way of life, beloved. We're peculiar people. That's what makes us different. Not because we think we're better than anyone else, but because we know we're sinners saved by grace. He has set us apart. But what Jesus does in this text this morning, he answers for this church. How should followers of Jesus live in the midst of a world hostile to Jesus? When don't nobody else love Jesus? As a matter of fact, when they hate you because you love Jesus, how, how, how do we function? How do we act? How do we live? And beloved, really what we see in this text is in the midst of hostility, persecution, and suffering, the church must be fully surrendered to the supremacy of Christ in order to survive. If we're going to survive, we have to surrender ourselves to the supremacy of Christ Jesus. In other words, because Jesus is fully supreme, you should be fully surrendered. In suffering, surrender all to Jesus. See here, Jesus begins this, this letter by reminding this church of his supremacy. And he is teaching something about himself specifically that would help them go day by day under persecution. Look what he says in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus is saying something profound in just that one sentence. He says the, uh, the, the words of the first and the last. Jesus wants us to know that he's just not any regular cat. He's just not a prophet who came by and, 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 and came up with some good sayings. He said he is the first and the last. Or translated, he is the, the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is, he is liking, him, liking himself. He is, he is putting himself along the same language used of God. So when he says the first and the last, Jesus is just saying, I'm God. I'm God all by myself. But not only am I God, I am the one who died and came to life. What is he saying? He's saying that, that even though I, I'm God, I came down, I, I clothed myself in flesh. I took upon myself humanity, and I came, and I, I lived a life that you could not live. And beloved, I died the death that you deserve. And in doing that, I, he is revealing to us his humanity. In this sentence right here, Jesus is laying out for us the incarnation. He is saying, I am both God and man. There's no one like me, but because I am both God and man, there's no one like me, and I'm supreme. Can't nobody touch me. Can't nobody do anything like I can do. I, it's only one of me. I'm God, and I'm man. He's God incarnate. Why do we need to know this Jesus? The point that Jesus is making as he walks through the text, he's setting us up. He wants us to see that death is not to be feared, 
because death has already been defeated. In persecution, in suffering, the fear is, well, what would they do to me? Will they kill me? Will they, will they take my life and the life of my family, friends, and loved ones? Jesus is saying, you can take that fear off the table because I've already defeated death, and no longer does death hang over your head and keep you hostage. If, if I call you to be bold for me, you just be bold for me because death can't harm you. He's reminding us that Jesus is bigger than death. He's bigger and better than any situation or circumstance. If, if, if we can just take that with us today, if Jesus is bigger than death, then Jesus is bigger than your situation right now. If Jesus is bigger than death, he's bigger than your bad relationship. If Jesus is bigger than death, he, he is bigger than your children going crazy. If Jesus is bigger than death, He's bigger than your supervisor. If Jesus is bigger than death, he's bigger than your bank account. He's bigger than those bills. He's bigger than your uh, depression. He's bigger than your anxiety. He's bigger than your health situation. If Jesus is really bigger than death, there's nothing else that can stand against him. Oh, beloved, what joy, what, what, what relief is that? No matter what I'm facing in front of me right now, if Jesus is bigger than death, then he's bigger than you. He's bigger than what's in front of me. And if I, if, if I genuinely understand that, he gives me a newfound freedom in life. I, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's already taken care of it. I don't have to be concerned about uh, my, my safety per se because he's already taken care of it. Jesus is bigger than any situation or circumstance that we can come up against. What relief that should bring us today. But not only is Jesus teaching this church who's about to face persecution that I'm bigger than everything, but when you surrender, be ready. Because when you surrender, suffering will be right behind. Surrender will lead to suffering. This is what he hits on in verses 9 and 10. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who, who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. What's what is Jesus doing here? He's reminding us and he's reminding this church that there will be tribulation. This is a church marked by tribulation. They're marked by poverty. They're marked by slander. They, they, they are the ones who are marginalized and kicked to the side. But Jesus says, he comes and he, and he, he says, I, 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 I know the government hates you. And I know the Jews hate you. And I know your friends and your family, they, they talk about you because, you because you actually believe your Bible. And, and they make fun of you because you actually love Jesus. I, I know what you're going through. People don't want to help you they, uh, because they know you, you, you're, you're following me. He says, I know. I know your situation. Jesus knows our situation. And see, and that's what's encouraging because after, as he lays out what they're going through, he begins by saying, I know. I know. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I, I, I know how they're talking about you behind your back. I know they gossip about you at the, at the, at the family gatherings of who they think they are. They think they are high and mighty. They go to church and because they don't do this. Hey, he says, I know already. He knows because he has his eye on you. He knows because he's watching over you. He knows because he, he cares about every aspect of your life. He, he knows both observationally. That means Jesus, he, he's, he's not just way out in the sky. He says he's walking amongst the lampstands. 
That means Jesus is walking amongst us right now. He, he don't have to uh, put on a DVD or DVR your life. He says, I'm with you right now. I know what you're going through. I, I, I know the test is hard. I, I know you're trying to make the, the bills. I, I, know, I know what you're going through because I see you. I have not turned my back on you. I have not forsaken you. But beloved, what's, what's glorious about Jesus, he not only knows observationally, because he sees us, but he knows what you're going through experientially. Well, the text of scripture reminds us in Hebrews 4 and 15 that we serve a high priest who, who knows our weaknesses. And he is tempted with the same temptations that, that we have gone through. So, so when we're going through a situ situation and we're tempted to doubt, Jesus says, I know how it feels like to, to, to be tempted to doubt. Because I was alone in the wilderness. I was all by myself. And Satan came and began to try to tell me that. Don't nobody love you. Don't nobody care for you. Won't nobody provide for you. But Jesus says, though I was tempted, I didn't fall. Because I said, be ye gone, Satan. Because this is what my father has said. That you should not, uh, man should not live by bread alone. He began to quote scripture to remind uh, Satan and everybody else that he, he, he's been there tempted, but he did not fall. As we're going through our situations in life, Jesus already knows. He knows experientially. Jesus knows the, the burdens that weigh heavily on you and the daily pressure that affects you. Jesus knows your frustration. Jesus knows your, uh, your heartache. Jesus knows what's going on on the inside. See, see, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't wait to see what you look like on the outside to determine if you need his help or not because he knows what's going on on the inside. And that's how he's, he's looking at your heart. What, what is grieving you right now? And he says, I know, and, I, and I'm here to serve and to help you. I was thinking about this in my studies. Then the song just popped in my head. That song we used to sing. Because Jesus knows and he's near. That, that song that, that says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. How it goes? No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal my soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. And then the chorus kicked in and my heart went crazy. He said, because the chorus says, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not. There's, beloved, there's not a friend like Jesus. Because your friend can only know what you tell him. But Jesus already knows what's going on on the inside. We ain't got to lie for Jesus. We ain't got a front for Jesus. He already, I, we just lay it out, Lord, you already know. You, you know what I've gotten myself into this week. You already know what I was thinking. You, you already know what I was, I was about to do. Lord, thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Now help me to love you. And this is why Jesus says, he, he knows about your poverty, but, but what does he say? But, but you are rich. What you mean, Jesus? You just said I was poor. How can I be rich? He, he's not talking about your present material wealth. He's talking about the treasure you already got stored up in Christ Jesus. He's, he's talking about the inheritance you've already received because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel. He, he's saying, because you know me, you are already rich. You're, you're rich in glory. You, you are storing up for yourself treasures. He's saying, you're rich. You may not have a mansion on Indian Trail, but you got a mansion on Salvation Highway in heaven. He, he, he's saying, you, you, you may be walking on busted shoes, 
but, but you're rich because uh, you'll be walking on streets of gold and glory. He's saying, though you may not have what everybody else have, you got something that everybody else ain't got. And if you have Jesus, we're already rich. We don't have to keep trying to be like everybody else. He's already provided. If, 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 if you've been saved by the power of the gospel, you're rich. What else is there? Jesus wants us to know that in the midst of suffering, you already have everything you need in him. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, we don't have to try to figure it out ourselves. We get on our knees and we pray. Because he's already provided everything we need for life and godliness. See, but then Jesus, he, he gets to the heart of persecution. They're going through tribulation. They're going through poverty. They're going through slander. But then he, he reminds them, that the, the Jews are talking about you, right? But, but really, this is, the, this is the synagogue of Satan. Jesus Gets, goes behind the curtain and he reveals the ultimate source of persecution comes from Satan. He, Jesus is reminding the church that that persecution is always demonic in nature. This is why he says in Ephesians 6 and 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It ain't really your boss you can't stand. It's the principalities and demons that, that, that are using him to get at you. He's revealing that, that the reason why persecution really comes for the church is because Satan wants to stop the spread of the gospel. Persecution comes to shut our mouths for Jesus. Persecution comes so that we would compromise uh, the way we live and, 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 and discourage other people to live for Jesus. Persecution is always about Satan. It is always demonic. Jesus, he, he's revealing this to them. But I love what he says. Do not fear. But do not fear. Do not fear. I'm with you. I'm, I'm walking in your midst. And do not fear because I'm, I'm just about to tell you what's going to happen. And he says the devil is about to throw some of y'all in prison. Satan is coming, in, now specifically in this city, they're being persecuted. They, they won't bend the knee. They won't say Caesar is Lord. So Jesus, he, he's warning them, some of y'all are going to be put in prison. Don't fear. And don't fear because this is for your testing. What Satan means for terror, Jesus uses as a test. And that test is to prove who we really are and to show us just where our power comes from. Not from ourselves, but from the Lord. He is going to test this church and, 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 and so that they will see that Jesus is in charge. Not only does he say you're going to be put in prison, he says you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be there, you're going to be in tribulation for 10 days. What? What is Jesus talking about in this 10 days? Really, what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about a, a specific duration of time. And really, he's pointing back to, Dan, uh, uh, to Daniel 1. Daniel 1, where Daniel and the Hebrew boys were first coming before Nebuchadnezzar. And what does Daniel say? We don't want to fall into idolatry. That's, that's what's going on in the city, idolatry. He's, he's looking back and he's saying, he's giving this as an illustration. We don't want to fall into idolatry. Let us serve the Lord and eat fruits and vegetables. And then after 10 days, what does the text says? Test us. Examine us. So what Jesus is saying is that for 10 days, a, a certain period of time, this church is going to be examined. They're going to be shown to, to be who they really are. Beloved, if you was tested today, what would you be shown to be? If, if Jesus said, you're going to be tested for 10 days, 
Beloved, I guarantee most of us in here, most all of us will say, 10 days, how about two? No, we want to start bargaining with God. But God is so kind because in telling them 10 days, he gives them a guaranteed duration. He's revealing how much in control he is. I'm not going to leave you, but I'm going to use you as a witness to show off my glory. And when you're able to stand, when you're able to, to be faithful to me, even in the midst of this, all the world will see and Satan will be shamed. He gives them a guaranteed duration. But what's beautiful is he gives them a guaranteed outcome. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, you're not going through just to go through. He says, when you go through, I got something for you on the other side. I got a crown of life. I'm going to identify you with those who will receive eternal life. Beloved, what, 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 what great joy we receive from, from Jesus' words. That even though we're going through suffering, he has something better for us. But lastly, he, he, he not only teaches us that surrender leads to sacrifice, but Jesus teaches us that surrender will, requ- will require sacrifice. Surrender leads to suffering. Surrender will require sacrifice. In Psalm 63, we heard that this morning, the psalmist lays out his words before the Lord and he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now here's the key in verse 3. Because your steadfast love It's better than life. My lips will praise you. What Jesus wants us to do is to love him so much that our life means nothing. This is why he says, be faithful unto death. Don't don't love your life more than you actually love me. Because when you set your affections upon me, you will have a a true understanding of what I want to do in you, through you, and for you. But not only that, you will understand that since I have life, since I got up from the grave, death will not keep you. And, and, And when we love him more than our life, that he would genuinely use us for his glory. Be faithful unto death. Jesus says, don't give up. Don't don't give up in the midst of your suffering. When, when, When you feel like giving up, hold on. Love me more than life. Don't compromise. When everyone around you is saying, just, just deny Jesus. Just do like everyone else. Just talk like everyone. Stop being so different. They won't talk about you. Jesus is saying, don't compromise. Love me more than your life. But what I really think Jesus is getting at, he says, be faithful unto death. Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to surrender to me, be ready to go all the way. Don't, don't go halfway. You, you, you know how we, you, you about to jump into a double dutch? You kind of, you, you waiting for, you rocking, you, yeah, okay, I'm about, okay. He said, no, when, when, when you come to me, you get all in. Get all in. Come to me. Not halfway. Beloved, are you ready to go all the way for Jesus? This is the question we have to answer as a church. How far are we willing to go for Jesus? What if Jesus said change everything about your worship service? about your ministries, about the seating, the parking lot? What if if Jesus says, I want you to change your colors? Y'all like, hold up, hold up. Now, now Jesus, I'm kind of used to these chairs. Now, Jesus, don't don't you know that I, I made a large donation for these chairs, Jesus? He said, I don't need your stuff. Do you love these chairs or do you love me more than life itself?
How far are we really willing to go for Jesus? See, so here's the, here's the thing, beloved. We got to stop front. How could we ever say we're willing to die for Jesus when we don't live fully for him right now? Jesus, I'll die for you, Jesus. Really? Okay. I just want you to give up your smartphone. What? You playing, Jesus. But I'll die for you, Jesus. Oh, really? Now I want you to get off Facebook. Oh, Jesus, wait a minute. Jesus, I'll die for you. I want you to get out of that sinful relationship. Oh, Jesus. But I'll die for you, Jesus. Then I want you to be generous with your money. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. But Jesus, I'll die for you. Then, then I just want you to go evangelize in, in, in Newburgh. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. I'm kind of busy. But I'll die for you, Jesus. We got to stop acting like we're really die for Jesus when we won't even live for him right now. Jesus wants a fully surrendered church who is willing to be faithful unto death. You know what that means? Even when it gets hard, faithful. Even when it gets ugly, faithful. Even when it gets burdensome, faithful. Even when I'm tired, faithful. Even when I, someone done hurt me, faithful. It does it unto death. And everything in between. Ask yourself today, have, have you really surrendered all to Jesus or are you still holding back? What do you need to surrender today? See, so here's the thing. If you genuinely surrender your life to Jesus, he has the most glorious reward. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. What is he talking about? The second death is seen in Revelation, the 20th chapter, in verses 14 and 15. It talks about on judgment, on judgment day, how, how Jesus will be judging the demons and, and all who, who never repented and trusted Christ, who never said, Lord, I'm sorry. And, and he says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, Jesus is saying, don't, don't be so concerned about death now. You need to be concerned about the second death. And the second death is being cast out for all eternity into the lake of fire, cast away from the presence and goodness of Jesus. That's, the sec that's what it means to really die. That's why Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can both destroy the body and soul in hell. Jesus, he promises that all tribulation, all poverty, all slander, all the suffering is coming to an end for the one who overcomes. Those who surrender themselves fully to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our great hope is not in our present comfort. Our great hope is in the coming resurrection from the dead. Beloved, salvation is free, but it costs your life. You have to give up yourself in order to follow Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus today. And this is what Jesus says in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
Love, some of y'all need peace today. You're looking for peace in, that, in relationships. You're looking for peace in shopping. You're looking for peace trying to numb the pain through drugs and alcohol. You're trying to figure it out yourself. But Jesus says, put all that stuff down because peace is only found in me. And then he goes on to say, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Praise God that we serve an overcomer. Praise God. That victory is already in Jesus' hand. And he promised, he promised me, and he promised you that, that come to him and you will find peace. If Jesus is worth dying for, certainly Jesus is worth living for. A surrendered church requires a surrendered people. May we be that people. Who I've surrendered all to Jesus in total praise. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power and for your might. Father, help us to surrender to you today. Help us to give up our secret and pet sins. Help us to give up all of our own wants and desires and give our lives to you fully and completely, fully surrendered, that you may use us for your purposes, that you would be exalted, and that we would receive this crown of life. Thank you, Lord, for being an overcomer. And then in you, we can overcome too. Thank you, Lord, for being with us in the midst of our suffering and for how you love us. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Beloved, the doors of the church are now open. If you're here today, there's never been a time in your life where you surrendered your life to Jesus. Then you can come and talk to one of our deacons, one of our young men, and we will show you from scriptures, from the scriptures, what must you do to be saved. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We're agreeing with God about how he feels about sin. And we're saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living for myself. Would you please forgive me? Would you come and be the Savior and Lord of my life and help me overcome? that I would not have to worry about the second death. Or you may be here today and you are in need of prayer. You're in the midst of suffering. You're, you're in the midst of heartache. You're in the midst of brokenness. And you want someone to pray with you, touch and agree with you, and pray over you, then you can come and receive prayer. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to repent because you have never surrendered everything to Jesus and you're still holding back. Like the song says, when we're serving Jesus, we have to come withholding nothing. You can come, and you can receive prayer. Or maybe you're here today and the Lord is drawing you to, to be a covenant member of Forest Baptist Church. Then you can come as well. So whether your need is salvation, whether your need is prayer or membership, you can come as we all stand to sing our closing song. May we all stand.